This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome back to Jurassic Park Minute. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And today we're going to bring you Minute number 85 of Jurassic Park. Hey, Brady, we got some awesome guests lined up for this week, don't we? Yes, we do. Uh, Joining us on Thursday and Friday this week, we're going to have Brad Jost, the host of the Jurassic Park podcast. And Brady, I think we just landed another guest too, didn't we? Yeah, on Wednesday we're going to have Jennifer Turek, who has been a contributor to uh, our friends over at Jurassic Park Podcast. And one of the things that she does is actually brings a lot of information about Bryce Dallas Howard. And uh, she's the operator of the Bryce Dallas Howard uh, Network. Uh, She also has kind of an affinity for the minute that we're going to be getting into on Wednesday and has some strong feelings on the conversation that John Hammond has with Ellie Sattler. So for somebody to say that they have... Uh, a connection to that moment is very interesting because that's one of the most poignant parts of the of the whole movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really looking forward to getting her take on that sequence in the film and uh, finding out just why it resonates with her so much. So Jennifer Tarek on Wednesday and Brad Jost on Thursday and Friday. Uh, and again, like you mentioned, Brad is the host of the Jurassic Park podcast. So we got some really big uh, members of the Jurassic Park community uh, who are going to be with us this week. It's um. It's a hell of a week, man. Yeah. It really is. Very exciting week, uh, and we want to thank uh, both Jennifer and Brad for giving us their time. Uh, we're very uh, happy that they're on here, and uh, it's going to be awesome. But speaking of minute number 85 of Jurassic Park, what we're here to talk about today, Brady, do you want to go ahead and get into this minute? Let's do it. Let's do it. In the previous minute, we saw Dr. Alan Grant comforting Tim and Lex after the traumatic experiences. As the minute ended, the trio began to fall asleep as Grant examined his raptor claw. At minute number 85, Grant admires the raptor claw for a few seconds before tossing it to the jungle floor below. The claw comes to its final resting place at the base of a giant tree. At 85.07, we cut to an interior shot of the Jurassic Park Visitor Center. All sorts of dinosaur-related merchandise adorn the shelves of the Jurassic Park gift shop. At 85.20, the camera pans past lunchboxes and John Hammond can be seen sitting at a giant table all by himself. He is eating ice cream alone. Ellie Sattler watches John from behind a pillar. Ellie walks over to the table and sits in the side opposite of John Hammond. Hammond tells her that all of the ice cream was melting. At 85.48, after a brief silent moment, Ellie tells Hammond that Malcolm is fine and that she gave him a shot of morphine. At 85.58, Hammond pushes his glasses up and tells her that they will all be fine. And thus ends minute number 85 of Jurassic Park. So this is a particularly easy minute to talk about because it is the 30 straight seconds of a tracking shot for the most part. Uh, We do get the very opening sequence here of Grant kind of throwing down the raptor claw to the ground. And I have to ask you, Brady, what do you think the the symbolism is in him tossing that raptor claw? Two two things. And... You know, one the the one way that I've always seen it is the fact that you know this this there's nothing special about this dinosaur bone anymore because there's nothing special about paleontology anymore. It is special, but it's not needed because dinosaurs are not a mysterious thing that we have to learn and understand now. When it's something we can just go to a zoo and see. And so, like Lex says, what are you and Ellie going to do now? And he says, I guess we'll just have to evolve too. Mm-hmm. And uh, him tossing the the claws, sort of him just saying, you know start over I guess Uh, another way of looking at it is this claw represented right from the get-go this symbol of aggression that he has 
and he's using it to scare a kid and to make a point about the uh, ferocity of dinosaurs, that, that, that nature um, and the respect that we have to have for them. And he's doing this, you know, to scare a child, to get a point across to a child, this thing that he has, you know, such an affliction for. And we also see him kind of toying around with it when he's in the helicopter listening to Malcolm drone on and on. So anytime that we've really seen him playing with this, it's him just having this sort of uh, internal aggression towards something. And like I said, it was really, really, really reinforced when he was addressing this child at the beginning of the movie. Well, here he is now an evolved creature himself and something that is actually enjoying this moment with children. What the hell does he need all this aggression for? Mm-hmm. I'm going to toss it. Toss it down to the ground. It's yeah. over. I think that that's a very astute reading of the minute. Uh, you know, and it's funny because we just talked about Jurassic Park three over the weekend. There's a large sequence in that where Alan Grant is addressing a room full of people on a at a, at a university, and they you know are talking about uh, the study of dinosaurs now that the dinosaurs actually exist uh, on Isla Sorna, and he makes the statement that those are not dinosaurs, that they are monsters created for a theme park attraction, and he's right. They uh, are not dinosaurs as you know they would have actually have lived. They're spliced together with frog DNA. They have different stuff going on with them. Even though we know that life has found a way in a lot of respects, they are not dinosaurs and there's still a need for paleontology. I think that his statement there in Jurassic Park three is, is really kind of uh, hits home today where we are in the era of fake news, you know, that anybody can be mm-hmm. a news person as long as they have a blog and get out there and say something, it'll get, you know, attention, grab you know, headlines around the world, even if it's not true at all. But there's still a need for people who are out there actually doing the scientific research. So he makes a very, um, you know, I'm sure it's, it's in his own self-interest to tell people that, you know, the world still needs paleontologists, but it's also 100% true. You still need kind of the scientific backbone there. Um, and I'm wondering, I think that what you're saying there, him tossing the, the bone to the, excuse me, the claw to the ground, probably does have a lot more to do with his overall attitude about children. Uh, you know, that he is dropping that aggression, that he is being the surrogate father figure that they need at this moment. So it's a very astute reading of that moment, Brady. But um, what do you, what's your reading of the 30-second tracking shot in the middle of this minute? <laughs> I actually really enjoy it. Um, I I mentioned earlier that uh, whenever Ellie and Muldoon are out looking for Grant, the kids, Malcolm, she runs, there's a shot of her stepping over some brochures uh, that would have been there when the park was open to the people. And it's all welcome to Jurassic Park. Isn't this fun? And here's this dinosaur and here's this park feature and all this stuff. Well, now here it is scattered in the mud, never to be. It's not to be. And it's, there's a very bittersweet element there. And that is even stronger right here. We've we've got John Williams' very kind of sentimental music, and the camera's just sort of drifting by all of this merchandise that's Mm -hmm. neatly stacked up and organized on shelves. And it's it's just beautifully arranged and beautifully lit, and it's it's a really neat moment, but it's a bittersweet moment that just says, this isn't going to happen. All of this stuff is so, it's perfect. And and it's uh, it would have been great. It would have been awesome. And Steven Spielberg is taking a, a pretty great amount of time to really get that point across. And then, of course, the camera moves past that and shows this man sitting in his dream in the element by himself, slumped over a table. And it's an incredibly uh, poignant and sad, you know, tragic moment in the movie. And I've got a close friend, and we were watching the movie a while back, and. Uh, just kind of going over it like we do here in this show. And she said that that was the, uh, her, she thinks that was the most important moment in the whole movie. Yeah. Was moving from this merchandise to this man in the middle of 
what was to be and and never never will be at least not in his control it makes you so, feel uh, very I, sorry for him that he yeah it really does and i'm looking forward to having jennifer on uh wednesday because john you know john hammond is very different in the movie than he is in the book and in the book i am completely uninterested in the character one because he's a jerk and two it's just so predictable and and one-sided and he's a kind of a villain and a mean guy and in this movie he is so compelling because he is Someone with a, a good heart, you know, and a great mind, but he's not thinking far enough into it to realize the danger and how wrong it is and everything. And and even here when he's talking to Ellie about next time it'll be flawless and all this, that, and the other, you know, he still can't see past his dream that he thought, you know, all this good that he was going to be doing for the world and for science and everything. And that's um to the, to the you know, David Cap's credit and, of course, Richard Attenborough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- yeah, she, my friend was right. Whenever she said this is like maybe one of the most important moments in the movie is this is this tracking shot that we get. Yeah, and it's in this scene that it follows here is one that always kind of fell flat for me when I was watching it earlier. But you know, breaking it down minute by minute and really kind of like paying attention to what's going on here, it's uh, a lot of this stuff I think that was subtly setting in on me uh, is a little bit more prominent now, and uh, I can really appreciate uh, the dialogue that the exchange here between Hammond and Ellie, and I, th- I think it goes some some pretty great places. So, uh, yeah, but of course, it's... there at the end, all she says is that she gave Malcolm a morphine shot, and that you know John Hammond tells her that he had to eat all the ice cream because it was melting. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, he has a si- significant financial investment in everything on this island, so none of it's going to go to waste, sparing no expense. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, some of the merchandise that is set up there on the shelves uh, is actually like real merchandise mm-hmm. that I've seen before. There's the plush dinosaur, I think, is one of the things you see. And yeah. then there's uh, there's some the, thermoses uh, there at the end that I think we actually yeah. had. I think so. Yeah. Now there's also a book in there that says the making of Jurassic Park. Oh, I did. Oh, that's very interesting yes. because it could serve as two points. It's a it's an actual marketing book that they're going to be releasing for the film, but also it could be. You know, you go so, to any amusement park, they have. You know, here's how Disney World was built and stuff like that. Yeah. If you look at the authors' names, it's Don Shea and uh, Jody Duncan. So. The book that you could get, I actually had a copy, The Making of Jurassic Park, the film, is written by Don Shea and Jody Duncan. So they actually, I guess, were writing that book, obviously, as the film was under production, so they just kind of snuck that in there, which is which is pretty neat. It's pretty clever. Uh, Don Shea... Nice marketing. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Don Shea is famous for writing, making of books about famous movies. Uh, he did one for Terminator 2 just shortly before this. Blade Runner, Aliens, and a few others. Hmm. Um, so I thought that was a little—it was a little neat touch that's in there. Yeah, it's clever. It kind of reminds me of uh, in Jurassic World, the Main Street area where they had all the actual, like you know, Margaritaville and Starbucks and all that stuff. Yeah. It was kind of included to you know fulfill their marketing uh, 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 agreements on the movie, but also kind of serves to give it like a real world lived in type feeling as well. So, right. I mean, you would see this stuff in Jurassic Park. They would have it everywhere. That's how the theme parks really make their money is, uh, you know, the marketing and merchandising and stuff like that. So, uh, and this restaurant is interesting too, because it kind of gives us a bigger idea of what their plans for the Island. I'm sure that there were probably, uh, bodegas or something like that near where people could sleep. And, you know, this would probably be the main source of eating while you're on the Island. You know, this, this restaurant, which reminds me of some of the, uh, you know, like a table seating restaurants you would find in a theme park like Disney World. Uh, I think there's, yeah. God, over by the Dinosaur Land in the, uh, Dino Land USA in the Animal Kingdom, the restaurant that they have is called like a Pizzasaurus or something like that, I think. 
Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it, it, it this is a very real world lived in aspect. You know, you have this thing that's ready to for people to start getting served sea bass and stuff like that, and it serves as a really nice empty area for John Hammond to go and kind of reflect on his uh, shortcomings as an inventor, you know, and how everything he does doesn't always go to plan, and he needs to learn to deal with that instead of ignoring the fact that he has failures that have cost human lives now. So. Um, that's all I've got for this minute. How about you? Uh, that's all I've got also. Uh, I think it's a, it's a very nice slow pacing uh, pace setup to this uh, dialogue we're going to get with Ellie and Hammond. And we're going to get into that tomorrow and on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday with our special guests, both Brad and Jennifer. So, uh, folks, tune into those. They're going to be great shows. You're going to want to hear them. And, uh, all right, Brady, you ready to go ahead and get out of here? Let's go. All right, folks, we will be back tomorrow for minute number 86. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. Until next time, hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com, Facebook.com slash JurassicParkMinute, and Twitter.com slash JurassicMinute. You've been listening to a Pele Media Podcast. For premium content and exclusive podcasts, visit us at patreon.com slash Media. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media, and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Media.